This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Toxico. Toxico, we turn chemicals into opportunities. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. It's Cannibal Week on Pod Cemetery with 1989's Parents and 2016's Raw. Raw was recommended by one of our listeners, James. Thank you very much for recommending. Yes, thank you, James. We had been wanting to see that for a very long time, so I was excited to have an excuse to. Yes, and Kelsey picked Parents to go along with it, because it's another sort of cannibal story, and it also has... An additional similarity that we'll be talking about probably at the end of the episode. It's plot-based. It's not like some secret or anything. (laughs) Uh, When we get there, we will talk about it. Before we talk about the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Give me what you got. Are you ready for a really easy one? I have some easy ones, too. What film was the first collaboration between writer-director M. Night Shyamalan and actor Bruce Willis? Unbreakable. Bruce Willis? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> Back up. Re, 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 re. I was, I was thinking you were going to say Mel Gibson because I knew it wasn't the first big one that he did. He did with Mel Gibson, right? So I thought you were going to say Mel Gibson. And when you said Bruce Willis, I w- it threw me off. So anyway. And for your loving, I'm going to die hard like Bruce Willis. <laughs> And for your loving, I'm a diehard like Bruce Willis. You're supposed to do that. Ba-ba-da-ba-bo. Yes. <laughs> uh, fucking Sixth Sense. Yes. Yeah. All right, Kelsey. An easy one for you, too. What 1920 film is considered an essential example of German expressionism? And, before you answer, and... Involves somnambulism. (laughs) Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. That is correct. Good job. (laughs) It's like how how it threw that on top of it just in case. (laughs) Whoa, it's a twist in the question. (laughs) All right, Kelsey, our first movie up is 1989's Parents, written by Christopher Hawthorne, directed by Bob Balaban, and starring Randy Quaid, Mary Beth Hurt, Sandy Dennis, and Brian Madorsky. What is Parents about? There is a question that kind of has to do with the premise. Most people think this movie takes place in the 50s? Yes. I disagree. I think it was supposed to be in the 60s based on the decor and the clothing choices. I th- I thought 50s. <laughs> That's what uh, pretty much everything says. Everything says the actually, 50s. Actually, this one here specifically says 1954. That's interesting. So they might have given the year at some point. The decor really felt 60s to me, but whatever. So in the 50s, a young boy is having trouble 
eating in his house, and he's not sure why. That's a very intriguing premise. (laughs) The movie is available for free on Amazon Prime and Tubi. We watched it on Amazon Prime. But it's only $6 to buy on iTunes? First of all, should people watch the movie? I think so. Especially if you can get it for free like that. I really liked it. Should they buy it for six bucks? I'd pay six bucks for it. Yeah. The added little bit here is that it's directed by Bob Balaban. I was weird that I saw it's a Bob Balaban film. He has mainly directed TV, things like Erie, Indiana, Strangers, yeah. Strangers with Candy. He did do My Boyfriend's Back. Yeah. Yeah, which is a good sort of comedy horror. Yes. We know him more, and you in the audience probably know him more as an actor. He is frequently in Wes Anderson and Christopher Guest movies. He was in Lady in the Water. He was the critic, the book critic, the one who... So Lady in the Water is this big metaphor about how fucking M. Night Shyamalan as a writer is the greatest genius and he will be the savior of all mankind and book critics or movie critics like Bob Balaban's character are everything that's wrong in the world and deserve to be eaten by monsters. Like, that's the movie. (laughs) He was also Thora Birch's dad in Ghost World and he was Phoebe's dad in one episode of Friends where he had very long hair like a hippie which is very uncharacteristic of him because he is uh, notoriously balding. Kelsey probably knows him best as the head of NBC on Seinfeld when they're trying to get their movie or their TV show made. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was George's boss that always talks and talks and talks. That's George Steinbrenner. (laughs) That's played by the guy who was George. He plays him? He, He does the voice. Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, no, the head of NBC, the one who has the daughter that George looks down her blouse or whatever, and he gets sick that one time, and there's... you. Come on, Kelsey, we were just watching this. We've seen it weeks ago. I can't remember. I can't remember what the guy looked like. Oh, that guy! Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, now I remember him in Seinfeld. Yeah, uh-huh. What do I know him most from? Let's see. It's so weird. Looking at his face, I'm just like, of course I know who you are. But like, all the things that like he was in, I'm like, yeah, you were in that. I don't remember you being in it. (laughs) I feel bad. Yeah, well, he's kind of designed to be meek. He usually is. He's the bald guy with the glasses. Yes. That's that's what I said. Anyway. Michael, on the other hand, played by Brian Midorsky, was in this movie and nothing else. Which is pretty interesting. I thought he had a lot of character and charm. He is intentionally supposed to be very quiet. Yeah, like, it didn't take a lot of skill to be this kid. I disagree. I absolutely disagree, because there is a difference between being a quiet kid and acting like a quiet kid. Like, the type of people who behave like that in real life are not actors. They're not going out there. They're not performing for people. You're not getting a performance out of them. You should know. The kids like that don't act like that on stage. (laughs) 
they mumble <laughs> and they don't look anywhere and they run off stage. Like, can you imagine trying to direct them in a movie where they're the main character? Ugh. <laughs> anyway, you can take our advice or leave it. And when we get back, we will talk about 1989's Parents. Randy Quaid, Mary Beth Hurt, Sandy Dennis, and director Bob Balaban bring you a fresh look at family life. The Lemley family is moving up in the world. Rise and shine! But something is eating at young Michael Lemley. You're not scared of your room, are you? Michael, the cellar's dark. Everything's dark at night. His parents think Michael's problem is in his head. (laughs) But Michael knows it's on his plate. What are we eating? Leftovers, honey. Leftovers from what? (laughs) From the refrigerator. We have leftovers every day since we moved here. I'd like to know what they were before they were leftovers. Before that, they were... Leftovers to be. Now there's a new name for terror. Parents. Bedtime. Kelsey, can you take us through the plot of Parents? So they just moved in and they seem like the perfect, I guess, 50s family. Uh, Whoa, whoa, whoa. You've already missed a huge part of the movie. What, that they don't have a daughter? That for some reason... The whole movie starts up with a weird close-up on a black and white picture of Michael, and then it, like, holds on his eyes, and then it cuts to the movie. Like, it's really weird. No, I don't remember that. Yeah. (laughs) From the very beginning, from the get-go, there's a lot of focus on the meat in their home. Yeah. And Michael seems very hesitant around the meat for some reason. And... When he's talking to his father, I think he's telling his father that he's a, he doesn't like the new house. He doesn't like where they've mm-hmm. moved in. He doesn't yeah. like the dark when it gets dark. Yeah. When he goes to turn off the light, he says that he's afraid of the dark. And Quaid explains to him, you know, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark too. But my father told me that one day I'd grow up big and strong and wouldn't be afraid. And now I'm not. And so you will do the same. And you can be yourself in the dark. We have to be careful. Yes. We have to be careful in the light, but in the dark, we can be ourselves. No, so he says, he he talks about there is one dark place that you do have to be very careful. And he points to his head, saying that you do have to be careful there with what goes on in your head. You can be yourself in the dark. But you know, there's one dark place that we have to be very careful in. Do you know where that is? monster in my closet and every night he would wait until I was asleep and hide under my bed you know what happened I grew up to be a big strong man just like my dad 
I wasn't afraid of anything ever again. Isn't that a nice story? That was creepy as fuck. He's really creepy. Randy Quaid. Mm. Infamous nut job. Dude is, like, legitimately, he is unwell. Why? What makes you say that? I know that he's done a lot of stupid shit with his money, but so is Nicolas Cage. <laughs> no. <laughs> Doesn't Nicolas Cage, like, own some crazy art? Yeah, and, like, dinosaur bones and shit <laughs> like that. I mean, speaking of his money, he <laughs> he identifies a group called the Star Whackers, who are an Illuminati cult in Hollywood whose goal is to prevent him from being successful. So that's one thing. <laughs> that's that's just that's just one thing. <laughs> <laughs> he also is kind of weird with his wife too, Evie, and he brings her like to set and What's wrong with that? Because she gets like hyper involved. According to one article, she sends rude emails to producers, sent a naked picture of herself holding a gun to several members of the crew. Why? Uh, yes. Like as a threat? <laughs> I don't know, but ultimately he was kicked out of actor's equity and fined $81,000 for all the shit that, that that went on during that time. What time was it? What movie? When he was in Broadway musical Lone Star Love. <laughs> and that was like her influence because he was kind of fine and everyone really liked him. But then she was... Uh, she also thinks that... There are people who are trying to kill them. Back in 2009, they stayed at a hotel and racked up a $10,000 bill and then didn't pay it. They skipped multiple court hearings in regards to this. They went on the lam, like, <laughs> because, like, there's warrants out for their arrest. They went on the lam and were eventually, they were found in Texas in the process of opening a Randy Quaid museum. He claimed that a house he sold 20 years prior to this claim was never actually sold and that his signature was forged, but waited 20 years to say anything about it, apparently. They were bailed out of jail at one point for, for squatting, and then they they fled the country and went to Canada, then ultimately were arrested in Canada. They were denied permanent resident citizenship in Canada. But I mean, like, he has famous family. Like, I think. Yeah, they, so. Well, I mean, like, why is he afraid of. I don't know. I would assume they would help him if he needed help paying for shit. They were living with, like, friends of his at one point who ended up kicking them out because they couldn't stand her, the wife, and their dog, <laughs> who. Uh, Snots? No, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but apparently she would she would do things like she would freak out in the morning when the gardener would show up saying that the mob was coming to get them with chainsaws and shovels and trying to make it look like a murder suicide. <laughs> and it, like it, it, the dude had to be like, those are the gardeners <laughs> like and then that kind of infested Randy Quaid. So, you know, I mean, I guess he loves his wife. If you went crazy, Kelsey, I'd go crazy, too. Oh, I'm just telling her that now, just in case. If she actually goes crazy, I'm totally turning her in. <laughs> you weren't supposed to hear that. Uh-huh. But anyway, he is perfect in this. Yeah. I absolutely... He's so 
scary just being like a perfect 50s dad. Just him just tapping his head like, ah, ah, like that is really fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. He has dreams in the night and there's one where like he's in bed and then it like floods with blood. That's the next. Yeah. He gets lost in a big sea of blood. That was very weird. Very weird. It reminded me a lot of The Shining. Uh Uh-huh. And I think it's just kind of getting into the kid's psyche. Yeah. What he's seeing, what he's thinking, what he's feeling. He's a weird kid. He, uh, he comes up with weird facts. We're going to hear them throughout the movie just because he reads them in odd books in the library and he shares them as if they're facts. And everyone's like, uh, no, that's not true. Yes. Like in his first day of school. Oh, well, before he goes to school, we see some interaction with him and his mom and we get a feel for their relationship. They seem very close as opposed to him and his father. They don't seem close at all. And he is refusing to eat any of the meat that his mother puts on his plate, mm-hmm. which really angers the father. Yeah, and being a picky eater is nothing like crazy. And you know what? Some kids decide when they're very young that they want to be vegetarians. And as a parent, you got to figure out a way to work with that. You can't, like, I know some parents might disagree with me. I'm not personally a parent, but I don't think. You should force your kid to eat meat if they don't want to eat meat. Now, it's one thing to be like, I just want to have candy all day or whatever. And yes, you need to make sure that they eat something. So sometimes you need to like punish them if they don't eat. But like being upset because they're not willing to eat meat is kind of weird. Well, it reminds me, I saw this movie when I was very young. I think I was like nine or something. And Mm -hmm. it was just, it happened to me on TV. Yeah. And I was watching it and it scared the crap out of me. And I think I really related to the kid, not because I was worried about where meat came from, but I have an extremely picky palate when it comes to meat. Yes. So, like, if you just put a steak in front of me, I won't necessarily eat it. It depends on what kind of meat it is, and this is something that has been a problem for me ever since I was a small child. I hated eating meat because I couldn't swallow it. I would chew and chew and chew, and my throat was just like, nah. Nah, dude. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm not having it. Yeah, you don't like it. Um. Yeah, so, like, I really related to the kid on this mm-hmm. level, and, like, my parents were not awful in that they forced me to, you know, finish my plate or whatever, But there were lots of times where my parents were like, you're not getting up until you've at least, like, eaten some of your vegetables or whatever. Yeah. Whatever it was. And I was a stubborn child, and I could sit there for hours. That's awful. I really was. (laughs) I I was that kid. You could not make me eat something if I did not want to eat it. I'm so much better now, but I still, I have trouble eating certain types of, like, steak. And mm-hmm. stuff. It's it's just a coincidence that the types of meat that she does like <laughs> are the most expensive ones. That's purely coincidence. It is. It is purely a coincidence. She won't eat a steak unless it's a filet or unless it's uh, some other expensive Filet, steak. prime rib, and tri-tip. Yeah. It's pretty much the only steak I'll touch. <laughs> I'll eat ground beef in a burger and a taco. That's kind of it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, 
So I really related to him, and so I felt kind of like on his level a lot when I saw this, and I think that really, really played into why this movie scared me so bad. Yeah. So I think that this movie does an excellent job at getting down on a child's level. Oh, totally. Which is interesting, because this is certainly not for children. Well, I mean, I, I, uh, I don't know that I would agree with that statement. I don't think necessarily it's for nine-year-olds. <laughs> it's not like a something wicked this way comes. Right. But I think you could watch it pretty young. I, there's not a lot of actual, like, horror or violence in it. It's a lot of paranoia. And a lot of psychological Yeah, fear. because nothing, literally nothing is confirmed until way late in the movie. And it's all like he just thinks – Things are happening. And things that, like, you know what? Even though he's our main character, it's really tough to believe him. Like, there's a scene where he's like, oh, I saw them and they were there was blood everywhere. And, like, no, dog, you just caught your parents having sex. Like. Well, <laughs> it could be that. And it's. But that's they what I'm saying. They never like, really tell us what I think, he saw. No, I think there are clues there. But that's what I'm talking about when I say, like, it. They do a good job. I agree with you. They do a good job of, like, casting it from his perspective. And because you see what he's seeing and what he's thinking. And you can see how a kid might think something's going on there. Oh, they're biting each other. Man, they're just having sex. But they had blood on their faces. Uh, they did. They showed. Uh-huh. From his perspective. From the shots that are obviously are you saying he's from an his un eyes. Are you saying he's an unreliable narrator? Yes. Because then we get a third-person perspective shot of her coming up to him, and she just has her lipstick smeared on her face. There's no blood anywhere. Like, that's what I'm saying. I think he's just misinterpreting a lot of stuff. But he's not wrong, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> he's just wrong about those specific instances, which is why it makes it a really good sort of paranoia thing where you believe he believes that, but you don't necessarily believe that it's actually taking place. And you could see how the twist would be that it was purely innocent until there is a point in the movie where it's, nope, this is happening. <laughs> yes, and... I really love movies that can get you down to a child's level because as an adult, you have fears. Yeah. But as a child, you're afraid of everything. Uh-huh. And when a movie is able to bring you back down to that that feeling, I think it's really accomplished something, which is probably why I have such a huge issue with it, to be honest. The new because one? the book, you read it, and you see it through these kids' eyes, and I don't think the movie did a good enough job at really making you feel like you're 11 years old and this shit is happening to mm -hmm. you. Whereas this one did. All right. I, I, I can see where you're coming from with that. Anyway. So, yes. Yeah, so he goes to school, and he meets a little girl. London Juno. Is that who plays That's her real name. Who plays Sheila Zellner. Yes. And, I mean, her birth name, like, Juno is her first name. She's British. Her acting name is London Juno. But Juno is her first name. Her full name is Juno Mills Cockle. So she got rid of that name right quick. <laughs> but, yes, that is the actress's name. And she is the daughter of... Somebody that his father works with. 
Oh, that like his boss or something like that. Yeah. But anyway, she is like a huge troublemaker. Yeah. And she will straight up lie. Yes. So we know she's lying. I don't know if Michael thinks what he says is true. I feel like he does. That's what I'm saying. That's why I think they're setting him up as an unreliable narrator. He says a few things. When they ask him to to teach the class something new, when they introduce him to the class, he says that chewing on a cat's bones, which, by the way, he describes getting those bones the same way I did on an earlier episode, chewing on a cat's bones makes you invisible. Michael, can you tell us something new? If you take a black cat and broil it on the oven, and you peel off the skin of the bones and take it off, and you chew on the bone, you'll be invisible. <laughs> well, that's certainly new, but that that's not true. That's not a fact. I do not want anyone doing this with their pets. And the teacher's like, no, that's not true. <laughs> do not do what he just said. And then later on, he says that if you cut off the hands of a hanged man and then burn them, they burn forever. <laughs> You find some people, but they have to be hanged, and you, and you chop off their hands, and you throw them in the fire, and they burn forever. And when people are like, where are you hearing this? <laughs> like, the library? <laughs> I'm like, is he reading a book on witchcraft? <laughs> like, so. that's what it seems like. And he comes, and he's just a weird fucking kid, and I love him. And his friend is also very weird. And she, when she goes up there and they say, you know, tell us something new, she's like, how about how to make a martini? Sheila, can you tell us something new? When you make a martini with an onion, it's called a Gibson. You know? Yeah. And she has all this kind of, uh, like, I'm from the moon. Where are you from? I'm from the moon. Huh? Are you really from the moon? Really? Yes, of course I'm from the moon. My family moved there when I was three. Lived in a small little village of Earth people. Nobody knows about it. I'm going back there once I have an education. And the kid keeps asking her questions. And I don't think it's because he doesn't believe her. I think he just genuinely wants more information. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And she says to him, you ask a lot of questions. I like that in a man. Yeah, it's very cute. They're adorable. And he shares that information, like, with his parents, too. Like, I think he really believes it. Yes. And when he says that, she's not from here. She's an alien. They go, oh, do you mean foreign? And he goes, no, from the moon. (laughs) And the father is getting really irritated because he thinks his son is lying. Yeah. Either that. Making up stories. Like, that's the thing. His son is making up stories or that he's friends with somebody who's making up stories. And either way, the father is not happy. Yeah. But all the father says to him is, eat your meat. Yeah. Michael met a little girl at school today. Oh, really? Is she pretty? She's an alien. Foreign? She's from the moon. She's from the moon. We can't make friends by telling lies, Michael. Can you tell us something truthful about this little girl, Mike? She taught the class how to make a Gibson. That's enough. Eat your meat. Won't you try just a bite? Beer daddy? Michael goes to his work one day. He works for a chemical company. Chemical company. The human testing division of Toxico. And they're doing stuff for the war, which would be the Korean War. And he's developing something that will completely destroy an entire forest um, after the first rainfall or something like that. It's like better than Agent Orange 
which is a chemical that that burns. So he tests this stuff on humans. And this is part because he works with cadavers and stuff like that. This is part of what feeds into Michael's paranoia. You know, this this weird sort of thing, which he doesn't fully understand exactly what his father does. And it's this sort of like jingoistic, ultra-nationalistic sort of feeling that was very popular and mainstream in the 50s. You know, talking about how, yeah, we'll kill all of them. Yeah, so obviously this is not the most child-friendly friendly yeah, workplace yeah. to take your child. But, but take does. your kid to work day is like, that's what you do. <laughs> yes. I know I'm scary. <laughs> Who is this little girl? take your daughter to work day and I know uh, you know I'm sorry for bringing her but you know my wife says I never see her and let's be honest she's right okay she's right do you have kids because I mean they change your world oh, I'm probably gonna get fired for this but f- it I love my daughter that really hits me where I live what have you done with those plans Gary here never sees his daughter because of people like you I'm so sorry you had to see that. Are you having fun being at work with your father? (laughs) I know I'm scary. These aren't the droids. It's around that time at the at the plant when he's there with his dad that his dad tells him, We have to fit in. Mm -hmm. We must always be on our best behavior. Yeah, he is priming this child Mm -hmm. to eventually I mean, that's the premise, fold him into the cannibal lifestyle. Yes. It's about appearing perfect so nobody suspects that you're a cannibal. We skipped over the counselor that he has. Millie Dew. So she is a smoking, bumbling counselor, but she genuinely cares yes. about the kids. Uh-huh. And he's she's trying to get him to open up because... Something is going on. Like he drew at school, like a picture with like, like covered in blood. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. But and, again, he has dreams about that kind of stuff. Right. So that makes her very nervous for this kid. So uh-huh. he has to start seeing her. And at first, he won't talk. But then she makes him very comfortable, and eventually, he opens up to her. And he ends up like trusting her, which is going to be important later. And it's funny because he says one of the reasons that he doesn't trust her, he's like, you can't be a real grown-up. And she goes, why? And he says, because real grown-ups don't get upset. So it's showing us... Wait, real grown-ups get upset? No, real grown-ups do not get upset. About what? I don't... That doesn't make any sense. Because I think she said to him, she must have said something about, it's okay to be upset. I get upset sometimes. Oh, okay. And he it. said to her, then you can't be a real grown-up. Because yeah. real grown-ups don't get upset. Because that's what he's been taught by his uh-huh. family. Yeah. His parents are raising him. Be normal, be normal, be normal. Exactly. Yeah, uh-huh. And she's trying to get him to realize, you don't have to be you all have emotions. up all the time. You have feelings, feel them. Would you... Do you mind very much if I just take a rip? Okay. What? You're, you're not a real grown-up. Oh, I certainly am. Real grown-ups don't get upset. So there's another scene where they all sit down to eat, and there's tons of meat. Mm-hmm. And they tell him it's liver. 
and he he's just like, well, where did they come from? From the refrigerator. Uh-huh. And, you know. Just patronizing parents, but also it sounds evasive. Yes. Uh-huh. What is it? Leftovers. Leftovers of what? Exactly. <laughs> and this is when Quaid turns to his wife and he goes, your son, a vegetarian, you know, and she's like, it's fine. I'll just make him something else. And he says, no, we can't do this every time he won't eat. Mm-hmm. He needs to eat. Does that so, sound familiar? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> he has another fucked up dream. Don't remember what happens in it. Well, doesn't he see his dad this time in his dream? Yeah, there's a few things. This is why I'm saying like there's a few things that he sees where it's unreliable. We can't like he sees like a leg on a meat hook in the basement and it's unclear whether that's a dream or not. Mm -hmm. And so when he goes and he tells somebody like we don't know if we can trust that. So his friend comes over, the little girl, and she convinces him to drink. She's saying, we're just going to quit school. You know, we're going to drop out. We're going to run away. She wants him to take off his shirt. Yeah. Uh-huh. Something obviously is very wrong with this little girl. Yeah. Like, I feel like she's having a shitty home life as well, but we don't ever get to find out. This is almost a movie about disturbed children. Yes. Yeah. But that's when his father comes home. Yeah, catches them. They've, yeah. they've broken into the wine cellar. They're drinking wine in the freezer. His shirt's off. And the dad comes home and scares the crap out of the girl. <laughs> so she leaves. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, we need to talk. <laughs> uh -huh. And they're having this conversation. He's like, you know, you really got to start uh, bucking up there, buddy, because... Uh, I'm not so crazy about you right now because I don't think you like me and I don't like you mm -hmm. because we're very different from each other and you're not falling in line with what I expected from my son. I don't think that this is the way. You're scaring him. Am I? Am I? Oh, well, mister, you scare me too. You don't look like me. You don't act like me. You hate me. Well, you know what? I'm not so crazy about you either. But this this is, it's an awesome, it's like funny, darkly humorous sort of parallels of real life and generational differences, especially in the 50s when, you know, men were supposed to be rigid, conservative, and they did their duty, and you didn't want some weird, limp-wristed, hippy-dippy kid, mm -hmm. you know? And that was a real conflict for families at the time, which it absolutely shouldn't be, but it's a major concern. So I think setting this in the 50s is actually perfect. I do, too. I'm just saying the decor looks more 60s. <laughs> that may be the case. <laughs> but, like, the dress she's wearing and all of that stuff. She wears an apron while she's cooking. Like, it's it's very 50s mom style. So, the kid has had it with his father. He goes to his father's work to find out if he really is taking bodies home. Yeah. But he gets caught. Not in the middle of it. No, and it is terrible. Tense. It is so tense because his foot is out under from under a 
table, yeah. the operating table. And he's just trying to be quiet, and then the dad drops the scissors, mm-hmm. and then he grabs them to look at them, and just as the father's about to go, like, reach down and grab the scissors, he hears a noise, and the kid takes this as his cue to run away, but he still has the scissors. Mm-hmm. So when they're home, and the dad... Well, the dad on the way home catches his son just walking nonchalantly at night home. And dad rolls up on him like, hey, you need a ride? (laughs) And the dad's obviously super suspicious of this kid. And the kid's like, yeah. And then they get home and the dad's still super suspicious until the scissors fall out of his pocket. And the dad finds him and is like, what? Where did you get these? I found them outside on the lawn. And don't you lie to me. You know, like, it's very creepy. Yeah, and the mother is trying to keep the peace between the father and son. Yeah. But, of course, she's always going to take the child's side. Uh-huh. She's She loves her son. But this feels very Rosemary's baby because it's like, I know the truth, but no one will admit it to me. And yep. I'm, you're making me seem like a crazy person, but I know I'm right. And it, yes, at one o'clock in the morning, he goes down into the cellar and finds a human leg. But the father is waiting in the bedroom. So he pretends like he was just going down for a snack. Yep. Mm-hmm. And him waiting for him is really creepy. Yes, it is. And this is when the social worker comes over to his house. She's really worried about him. She he she goes to it. her, Millie Dew. Okay. Goes to her, or he goes to her, and she's like, well, let's get this all figured out. And she takes him home from school. And they go there, and the parents aren't home, and so she just goes inside. She barges in, and he doesn't want her to do that. And then they go down into the basement. Where was this leg you found? And they mm-hmm. go down into the basement. And there's nothing there, see? And then she's, like, looking, and she lifts up the window in the basement to, the like, the lower level or whatever, and a, and a whole body falls out of that. And she freaks out. And then they hear the parents coming home, and that's when he shoves her in the closet. Okay. And then, very much like Halloween, there's a knife through the closet doors. Yep. Millie Dew. Yes. I've been hesitant to say it. Yes, her name is a pun on mildew. Whatever. <laughs> is is now dead. Yes. So the kid retaliates with, with a baseball bat. Yes. Uh-huh. Pretty awesome. Because at this point, we've kind of had it with Randy Quaid. He's just such an asshole. Yeah. And says to him, you eat people. Just Finally getting it out there. Just like, I know this about you, Dad. Yeah. You eat people. I can't remember if this is the scene, but there's a scene around here somewhere where the dad and the son are just sitting there talking and the room is spinning around them. So what's happened happening really is they're like sitting on this giant Lazy Susan style thing with the camera and it's spinning. So it looks like they're in place and the house or the room that they're in or whatever is spinning around them. And... It's supposed to be a little bit, like, disquieting, you know, almost supposed to make you feel a little nauseous, but it didn't for me. It was, and it was, like, the whole scene, and it didn't cut. They just played out the whole scene that way. And I thought that was pretty neat, actually. It was a bold choice on Bob Balaban's part. There are a lot of bold choices in this movie. Yeah. And I really like Pretty much all of them. I love that this movie was super creative and it did so many off the wall things, but it all came together in a 
very cohesive storyline. The Gate had a lot of weird shit going on that didn't really feel like it worked together. Yeah. Whereas this, like you said, big, bold choices, like the one you were just talking about, or the Sea of Blood, like, it all seems very strange, but it works so well together. Agreed. And after he says, you eat people, his father is like, you're not like them. You're not, you're not like us. I don't love you anymore. I don't know who you are. I, you're not my son, basically. And he's like, I'm going to force feed you this food. If you want to be a part of this family, if you want to be my son, you're gonna have to eat. And the mother even says, I learned to love it too. Are you tired? I'll feed you. Just a few bites. sure you'll acquire a taste for it. Your mother did. I learned to love it. Yes. So you find out that it's not just the father. The mother is in on it as well. And she's like, look, I, you know, I get it. But you'll learn to love it just like I did. Mm -hmm. And there's moments where it's obvious that she's totally in on it. Like when he talks about how how she needs to help him bring in the groceries or something like that. And she's like, oh. Oh. Yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. And he ends up, the kid ends up stabbing his father. Yes. When he tries to force him to eat it. And that's when the father is like, oh, fuck this kid. And, he, and he's going to kill Michael at and this And he says to his wife, we'll have another one, Lily. A yeah. better one. Uh-huh. We'll have another one, Lily. We'll bring him up right. But that's not how it works with mothers. Especially mothers. 50s mother. Mm -hmm. Like the the trope of the mother standing in the way of the abusive father and getting hurt herself. That happens here. She tries to protect Michael and she ends up dying instead. So yes. now the mother's dead. The father's injured and Michael is trying to run away. And they're running around the house. At one point, the father breaks a, a gas pipe. A gas line and now gas is leaking everywhere in the house and he's tripping around and falling over but at one point he ends up pulling down the entire rack of wine bottles on top of him and maybe dies there but it doesn't matter anyway as michael's trying to get away the gas ignites and it blows up the house so both of his parents are dead now and he is sent to live with his grandparents and the key note here, it's his father's parents. It's his paternal grandparents. And so they're being very kind to him. And they put him in bed and they give him a little late night snack of a glass of milk and some sort of cold meat sandwich. Or warm meat sandwich. I don't know. Some sort of meat sandwich. Yeah. And it's like, where do you think your father got it from? Yep. Why do you think your father was constantly telling you, I learned this from my father? Yeah. Uh-huh. And it ends with purple people eater. Yes. At first I was like, wait. So it, it shows clips of every one of the actors. And it's like they come out of the front door and they wave to the camera. And it's one eyed, one horn flying purple. And as it starts playing, I immediately recognize the song. I, I know the song that's playing. It just does not click in my head until he actually says it out loud. Flying purple people eater. I'm like, oh, that's why they're playing that song. <laughs> it just, I couldn't, I was like, what is the, why did they choose this song? 
And that's the end of the movie, which has a key tie into our next film. So there is a hidden consistency here between these two movies. Thank you for tying them together. That's very clever. So, lightning round. Kelsey, we didn't mention that Millie Dew, Sandy Dennis, was in God Told Me To. Ah, yes. So if you remember in God Told Me To, the main character it has a girlfriend, but he's still married. And his ex-wife is Sandy Dennis, Millie Dew. Ah, she th- she's the one that's like, why don't you tell her that you're never going to leave? Yeah. Uh-huh. Ah, yes. Yeah. And what do we know Mary Beth Hurt from? She was fantastic. I think she might have been my favorite part of the whole movie. She's the museum curator in Red Dragon. Ah. Is she the one who shows him the painting? And then he kills her? Yeah, he ends up killing... No, he doesn't kill her! He knocks her out. He knocks her out because that's when he's changing. Yeah. Maybe he wants to change. Maybe he wants to stop. Yeah. Yeah, he 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 eats the painting so as to stop the dragon. Yeah. There are a lot of little weird things... She's we- in My Boyfriend's Back. She plays as Mrs. Dingle. Oh, uh, yes! That's why I know her. <laughs> I fucking love her. She's awesome. And she plays an excellent 50s mom. She does the same thing in My Boyfriend's Back. Yeah. There are a lot of little weird things in this movie that we kind of didn't say that I'd like to I, There are a here. few things I have too, so go ahead. There's a part where the mother is biting off her son's nails and it's like totally normal for them. Yeah. Which is, it's kind of a cute little, like, a family idiosyncrasy. Right. Like, anyone all... seeing that might be, that's gross. But I think everyone has a weird sort of thing that, that was totally normal in their family. <sighs> and maybe it slipped out one time to somebody and, the, and people were like, what? That's gross. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's so nice when you find out that other people have weird things that, <laughs> like you that you... I don't bite Chris's nails. No, but, not at all. But but we have weird family. I things. have weird things, <laughs> and it's so uh, and it's funny because I'm always so embarrassed to say them. But remember when we were at that party, and I found out that like all the other people in the room felt like all the guys. I was the only girl. Get a lot of satisfaction from peeling, peeling sunburns. Skin. Yeah, uh-huh. like I thought I was the only one, and I thought it made me look so weird. Yeah, and then like. So she gets really excited when I get a sunburn. Yes, (laughs) it's true. (laughs) Um, But I found out, like, three other guys, and they were like, oh, fuck yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm the same way. (laughs) No, I get it, but it's not worth it. You get excited. (laughs) I wrote down a note here, anyone who cooks in a tie and isn't paid to do it is a psychopath. (sighs) Because the dad does at one point, you know, he's wearing like the the apron, but he still has his full shirt and tie on. You know, he's casual because he's not wearing his coat anymore. Yes. Like that's that Very 50s different style. 50s things, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. There's a lot of charm and personality Chris to that. Chris never wears a tie to work. Ever. Or a jacket. Nope. And I work in a in an office. Yeah. But we recently uh, implemented Dress for Your Day. Oh, so you got to start wearing, you can't wear jeans anymore? No, that's why I get to wear jeans. Oh. Unless you have, like, guests coming and you you need to have some important business meeting or whatever. Go ahead, wear jeans, that's fine. Dress for your day. It's so progressive. We are a 150-year-old company. <laughs> that's very progressive for us. It's funny because there's a part where he's talking to the little girl and he's telling her how weird his family is. And she's like, so what? 
last night my dad emptied the dishwasher naked. <laughs> yeah. Parents do weird things. <laughs> <laughs> it is very weird, yeah. The family's name is Lemley, and it is very peculiarly spelled L-A-E-M-L-E. Like, that's a very specific spelling of that. It's still a deviation from the only fa- – like, if you were to Google Lemley like that, they would say, do you mean Lemley with two M's? Uh, there are a lot of, like, theaters. There's a whole theater chain uh, run by a family with that name. Um, but probably more famous is Carl Lemley Jr., who is a film producer from the 30s. He produced Frankenstein, Dracula, The Mummy, The Invisible Man, like all of those universal monsters. He was a producer on those films. So the theory is, is that that's a reference to him. Because fucking what else would it be? Kelsey, what do you think the movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? 69, dudes. 69, dudes! <laughs> we just did that. I think it's 69. I think it got 69. <laughs> okay, okay. Lower. 50% out of 14 reviews. No consensus review. 50%. So half the people thought it was okay. Half the people thought it wasn't okay. Underrated or overrated? Extremely underrated. I agree. It is adorable. It is charming. It is creepy. It is creative. And creative. Bold in a lot of places. I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it, which is so funny because I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, and I was really excited to see it as an adult. Right, because you and I know totally how you look get at why it. this scared me. Uh huh. Like I don't watch this and be like, I can't believe I was afraid of this. No, no, no. I understand. I would not show this to a child. (laughs) You were telling me, and I think it might even be in the last episode, about how watching it as a kid, like, you didn't understand why people thought it was funny. No, it's not lost. It wasn't lost on me. That's what it was. I got got it, but it was still very scary. Scared the shit out of me. Uh (laughs) I totally understood that, like, I was supposed to be laughing, kind of like with Gremlins. Uh I knew... That it was supposed to be comedic. Yeah. That didn't mean it didn't scare the hell out of me. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you mentioned it earlier. It does a very good job of, of putting things from the perspective of the kid and uh, shows you things the way he would see them. And so that makes things scarier. It's like a, a slightly campy version of The Furnace from Home Alone, whereas The Furnace from Home Alone is a little bit over the top. This is over the top in more sort of a camp way. Mm-hmm. And you see two sides to the parents. And there's literally the fake cliche 50s couple and the murderous cannibals. Mm-hmm. Like those are the only two versions of the parents that you get, which is pretty interesting, I think. The movie cost about $3 million to make, according to Box Office Mojo. And grossed not even a million dollars. Not even a third of that. Well, that doesn't surprise me. Not a lot of people have heard of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, even still, like, there are a lot of, you know, mini cult horror movies out there that did horribly when they first came out. And then they get cult status from, you know, being played on television. Mm -hmm. You know, what would you give it? I'm going to give it an 80. 
I don't know if I would go quite that high. Okay. It's 70s for sure. High 70s. Like upper half of the 70s? I think I'll give it a 77. It's, uh, you know, it's it's pretty dang good. It's really good. It's not quite as good as The Gate, but you gave it the same score as The Gate. Honestly, I think it is as good as The Gate, in my right. opinion. It's just, it's just different? It's very, yeah. I, I think they're on the equivalent of each other, but for very different reasons. Right, yeah. <laughs> All right, that is 1989's Parents. Before we get to our next film, Kelsey... Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. The man's first victim in 2016's Hush yes. is which of the following? Maddie, Sarah, John, or Max? God, I gotta remember their names. You do. I mean, it's the blonde neighbor, and I'm pretty sure our character is Maddie. So, Sarah? Yes. Okay, cool. The Mist, 2007, was based on the novella of the same name... By what author? Could it be Stephen King? That is correct. <laughs> I told you you had some easy ones this week. Yeah. All right, Kelsey, our next movie up is 2016's Raw. <laughs> Written and directed by Julia DeCornow, Garance Marillier, Ella Rumoff, and Raba Nate Ophella. What is Raw about? A college girl or a girl that's going into college, is she's a vegetarian, and she's going to school to become a vet. And it's this weird sort of like, I don't know, okay, so it's it's a Belgian-French production, right? They're speaking French, though. Yeah, well, they speak French and Belgian. Oh. And Belgium. I did not know that. Yeah. So it's not really clear, I don't think they ever say, specifically where this school is, but it is a college just dedicated to veterinary medicine, and it's like a fucking normal college. Like, it's there's a lot it's of partying. It's a very small college. Yeah, uh-huh. So everybody knows everybody. Like, each uh-huh. time a new class comes in, it's basically- They haze them. They're hazing yeah. them as if it's a fraternity because it is such a small school. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they are able to haze everyone. Each new class is like 20 to 30 people or something like that every year. And because of hazing and things that she goes through, she decides to think twice about being a vegetarian. <laughs> yep. Little credit of note here. Uh, first of all, how many fucking countries and companies produce this flick? Lots. Like it just never ends at the There's beginning. Several pages. It was just you know production company after production company after production company after production company. Which it is just surprising because it wasn't end. There's not a lot in here that I would have thought needed all that production. No, but <laughs> I mean, it's. It's independent in quotes, you know, insofar as they get a lot of small funding from like a ton uh, of places. Uh, yeah, government like art funds and things like that. Canal Plus is involved in this because it's a French indie film. Of course, Canal Plus is involved in it. <laughs> um, but also, uh, Julia de Cornau, the, the writer director, gets two writing credits. She got a credit for screenplay and for dialogue. Which, what's the difference? Does 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 getting three different credits in the movie get her, like, more money? Like, what's the point of that? Like, yeah. Yeah, you wrote the dialogue. You wrote the screenplay. That's what's in the screenplay. I don't know. Like, it's very weird. Bizarre credit stuff going on in this movie. But 
You can buy it on Amazon and iTunes for $15. It is, however, available for rent on Amazon for $4, but not available on iTunes for some reason. Should people watch Raw? Yes. I don't think it's as good as Parents. No. Just because it's not as bizarre and outlandish and creative? I mean, it's not as up its own ass as Mate Me Por Favor. <laughs> but it has some of those. I thought it was way better than that. Yeah. Like, me, please. Way more entertaining. Like, and we you- know people that stay away from movies if they have those... those- <laughs> Those independent film festival laurels. Laurels. This is one of those cliche in in quotes cliche movies where it's. But even it's I think very our independent film would actually festival. like this yeah. movie. No, I, I'm not saying that as like a disparaging remark. It's just if you want to know what type of movie this is, it's one of those. Yeah, and it's good, but I wasn't crazy about it. There were things that they could have improved on. Yeah. I wouldn't say go out there and buy it for $15 sight unseen. See it, and if you like it, then buy it. But I think $4 is not a lot of money to spend to watch this movie once. No, I would do that. I'd I'd say it's worth it, yeah. You can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 2016's Raw. All right, guys, raise your hand if you called it. It's a foreign language film that doesn't have an English trailer. Which is totally cool, but absolutely worthless for our needs. And you know what? That kind of applies to the rest of the movie. So don't expect a lot of clips from the movie in this part of the episode. That being said, guys, we hope you enjoy our conversation on 2016's Raw. Kelsey, can you take us through the plot of Raw? We see a person walking down the street on the side of the road. And a car is driving by. And the person runs into the middle of the street... And the car crashes to not hit the person. And the person falls. We see the person get up and we move on. We then meet our main character who is having lunch with her parents. And they're at a restaurant and she only gets mashed potatoes. And when she returns to her seat and she's eating it, all of a sudden she stops and the mom's all freaked out. And she realizes that her daughter is telling her, I've got meat in my mouth. And so her mom's like, spit it out, spit it out. She goes up to the front, you know, we are vegetarians, you know, what if she had been allergic? Yeah. So obviously we're just being set up on the fact that they do not eat meat. They absolutely do not. They are dropping her off at college, which we find out pretty quickly. It's a veterinarian college. It's very small, which I know we've already said. When she gets there, it's really awkward. Her parents just kind of leave her in the parking lot. Yeah, because her sister's going to come pick her up. But her sister's not there yet, but they still just leave her there. So she goes to her room, and I guess... It's a tradition that, because at first, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, these people are running through and they're just throwing all of their shit out the window and making these people come out in whatever they're wearing. And it's late at night, so most of them are, like, ready to go to sleep. At first, you're like, what the hell is happening? And then you realize, oh, they're taking all of the freshman class to this huge party. Yeah. At the party, she sees her sister. So we have two characters now. There's Justine, who is our main character, and there's her sister, Alex, or Alexia. And Alexia is very drunk and takes her off 
exploring. I think she takes her to, like, where there's dead animals or something, which isn't too unbelievable considering they're at a veterinarian school. Right. And we find out that, like, the sister and the mom do not like each other, and so that's why the sister didn't show up earlier that day. And Justine wants to go to bed, and the sister very angrily is like, rookies don't go to bed before we do. And she takes her to see... Uh, this picture to show, hey, look, it's mom and dad. This is them on their initiation day. And we can't see what it is, but the girl's like, oh, God. And she's like, no, 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 look how happy they are, and you'll be happy too. Then the next day is initiation, and what happens? They're standing there in their white coats, ready to take a picture of the entire class, And just before the picture gets taken from the roof, the older classmen pour buckets of blood on them. And that's the picture that gets taken and saved for posterity. And for the entire rest of the initiation, they explain the initiation to them. It's going to last for so long. You're going to hear a air horn sound three times when it's over. And one of the things that I don't know if they say, but I think it's implied through the film, is that they don't get to swap out their coats. They have to wear their stained coats the entire initiation. So for the rest of the movie, we're going to see them wearing these white coats that have these red stains on them. Yes. And the weird thing is, is that they all are stoked about it. Like, no one's upset. Nobody's angry. Yeah. Nobody's, like, grossed out. They're just all fine and happy and laughing. But the next step is that they have to eat some sort of raw meat. Yeah, it's a rabbit's kidney. Raw. And she's like, I can't. I'm a vegetarian. And she's like, ask my sister. I'm a vegetarian. Your sister pops up and just goes ahead and eats some right in front of her. Mm -hmm. She's like, you have to do it. And some of the people are like, it's okay. She doesn't have to. She's like, no, yes, she does. She has to do this. She basically forces it down her throat. Yeah. Which then she quickly vomits back up. She's spending this time with her roommate, who is a boy, and his name is Adrian, and we learned that he is gay, and so the school didn't care, even though she asked for a girl roommate. He says, well, they gave you a gay man, so they figure there's no difference. We get some interesting insight into who she is as a person. So she was sitting there with a group of other students, and somebody says something about how, like, bestiality isn't as bad as raping a woman. And essentially the girl is like, no, it's... Uh, it's the same. It's just as bad to rape an animal. And this girl goes, so you're saying that a raped woman is the equivalent to a raped monkey? And she goes, yeah. And it's like, I see what she's saying? Yeah, no, I the movie's doing this on purpose. <laughs> Justine is very, very strongly an advocate for animals, and that's why she doesn't eat meat. She thinks that, you know, animals are innocents and they can't give consent for something like bestiality. Of course, the other person is trying to say something provocative and reframe the argument to be like, oh, so if a woman is raped, she's a monkey now. It's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm elevating the animals, not reducing the women. Like, that's... Right, but I feel like... 
it's supposed to sound ridiculous and controversial, but it shows us how strongly she feels about this. Yeah, yeah. Later that night, she can't stop scratching. This is the kind of horror we're going to get, folks. <laughs> it's something. It, it, it is just remarkably realistic looking. The rash that she has, the scratching, it, it like, I can't. I just, I can't. She ends up going to a physician in the morning who says it's an allergic reaction and ends up peeling this dead skin off of her. We talked about this earlier on in the episode. <laughs> okay, I wouldn't want to do that. That looks gross. Right, yeah. But it's just so fucking real. And that's the caliber of gore that we get. It's stuff that it's not over the top. It's realistic. And it just lets you sit in it. So you squirm. <laughs> and there are reports like there are for all sorts of these movies that ambulances needed to be called because people were passing out in the middle of showings at film festivals and stuff like that. Because of course. But I mean, I'm surprised they don't just have ambulances sitting outside of every film. There are so many accusations of people passing out because they just couldn't take it. Like, but it is intense. You saw me. I was squirming. Like, I did not feel comfortable. It's very, like, okay. I went into this expecting to not enjoy it. Yeah. I was very intrigued by it. But by all accounts, I was told it was going to be horrific and gross. I really don't think it was. And in fact, the way that they, like you said, make you kind of marinate in it. Mm-hmm. Almost makes it feel like not scary. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's supposed to be horrifying, but not frightening. Yeah, like there's nothing about it. Like, is it a gross idea? Sure, but like the things that she does are not. I don't know another word for it. Horrific. They they're not. She she herself is not scary, and so I think that kind of makes what she does, like, eh, gross, yeah. weird, but uh -huh. okay. <laughs> right, totally. But, but, I mean, earlier on in the movie, we saw uh, a horse getting tranked and examined, and... For no reason. Well, it goes nowhere. Right, but it, it's setting the stage for two things. The fact that this is a serious farm veterinary school they deal with cows and horses and all sorts of stuff that you don't get in a normal like dog and cat vet um and number two they're gonna show you shit and you're just gonna watch it that scene with the horse like really fucked with me like not like it didn't have some sort of lasting impression and i'm forever changed or anything but like in the moment i was like this is tough to watch like, them tranquilizing this horse and, like, having to push it up against a wall as it collapses and then stringing it up upside down to get it on the table. And you watch this whole process. And basically what the movie is telling you is a couple of things, but probably most importantly, this is what you're going to get. You're going to watch this stuff. 
and we're not going to cut away. The bits where normal movies wouldn't show you, they'd show you maybe a little clip, and then they'd get the message done with, and then they'd cut away. We're not going to do that. And they don't. For the, for the rest of the movie, I can't think of any moment where they cut away. The next kind of horrific thing that happens is also really, really gross. And I commented on, Jesus! And that's the hair. That didn't look real to me. <laughs> it did to me. So It made me think of the ring. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then it kind of took me out of it because it just kept going. And I was like, okay. But I'm thinking of the feeling of something being lodged in your throat. Like you ever pull a whole noodle out? Like you cough, you're not swallowing a noodle properly, and you like got to get a whole noodle out of your throat? Jesus Christ, no. <laughs> That's happened to me. <laughs> Uh, not like a like pulling it out with my fingers or anything like it's a tapeworm. I mean, like like having to gag it back up or whatever because it's not swallowing right. In any case, that it made me think of that. So she's accused by a teacher. This subplot is not important of cheating. She narks on her friend Adrian, accuses him of cheating off of her and not her letting him cheat. She's like chewing on her hair this whole time. And then immediately she goes to the sink and she starts pulling out these strands of hair that just tons and do tons. not stop. Which it just, I just keeps uh, going. It makes it very unbelievable. But this is my point. They do not cut away. It's not just <clears throat> and then you see her cough it up or you see her pull a little bit and freak out or whatever. And then it's done. Like it just it holds. And yeah, there are cuts, but it doesn't remove any of the content. All of the content is still there, which is one of this movie's, I think, distinguishing characteristics. There's probably one big thing in the movie that you don't get to see. And that's right at the very end. Some more hazing happens, some more stuff with her sister happens, but it's all kind of pointless. Establishing relationships and stuff like that. Yeah. She walks in on her roommate getting a blowjob. Yeah. And when she runs outside, she just stands there and listens. So we start to get very much aware of she has some sort of sexual feeling, probably for her roommate. And they have a really cute relationship. They, yeah. like, hang out and they... Smoke together and they cuddle. But unfortunately for her, she's obviously starting to develop romantic feelings. Yeah. Once he finds out that she's never had meat before, he gets excited to take her out on like kind of like a date. Yeah. And because she specifically, she gets a craving for this meat ever since that one time. She can't do it there. Like nobody can know. Right. It'd, it'd be her secret shame. And so she trusts Adrian to take her out to get meat. On their way. They see, like, a, cr a car crash. Mm-hmm. And the way that they did slow motion and the way that she's looking, everyone else is, like, looking away and she looks out the window. It reminded me a lot of Thesis, of when she yes, almost sees at the, beginning. the dead body on the train tracks. Right. Really reminded me of that. But only for that instance. But, like, it was interesting. And she gets in there and she just cannot stop eating that meat. She just goes to town on it. And even the roommate's a little like, okay, <laughs> weirded out by it. Yeah. The whole thing with the hair happens and what I wrote 
is, are we supposed to believe that she ate that much hair in front of a professor and he did right. nothing? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And it's and it's unclear if these two things are connected or if she's been subconsciously doing it for a long time mm-hmm. ever since, you know, or she did it all through the night or something like that. But that's a lot of hair. Yeah. And the thing is, is that I don't know how she would be pulling it back out. Yeah. This is Once probably you swallow it, your hair gets in your stomach. That's how you get hairballs. Yeah, and that's only unlike cats, yeah. we don't throw them up, and it it's really bad for our system. So don't eat your hair, people. I know yeah. that's a thing people do. Yeah, no, it's not realistic, and it's probably the most like creepy, spooky is she possessed sort of thing in the movie, and it's the only slightest hint of anything like that. And when she does this, she's in a bathroom. And when she walks out of the stall, a larger Asian girl is standing there and she says, two fingers will help it come up better. Yeah. Super fucked up. And then she leaves and the girl, they keep, they stay on the girl. This is what I'm saying, right? And she's like smiling at the She's like practicing her smile. Yes. And she's playing with her hair. Like she's seeing what she looks like to other people. Uh Uh-huh. And there's kind of a dreamlike quality to this film that I kind of, you notice with a lot of the characters. Unless French people are just like this. <laughs> uh, but there's this quality about these people that it's like whenever you notice someone doing something strange or unappealing or odd or out of out of the ordinary they have a tendency to notice it, but they just say, oh, well, and they just keep walking on. Mm-hmm. You know, that happens several times. This isn't a perfect example of that because we understand that she's saying that because she's obviously bulimic. But there are plenty of interactions that are kind of very strange. People will react to our main character, Justine, in ways that it's like, you did something strange, but I'm not going to call you out on it, but we all know about it. Yeah, uh-huh. It's weird. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's even, like... Do you agree with me? That yeah. There's this quality to this film where it's very, like, oh, well... There's a there's a moment later where she shows up for class after a party and something's happened and she doesn't know what it is yet. And she sits down in class and the person next to her, like, looks at her and then gets up and moves a seat or two down and she like smells herself. It's not until later that she finds out, no, they know something that she doesn't and they're not going to say anything. You know, it's very weird. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Then we, ugh. She goes to find her sister. And how does she find her sister? Yes, she finds her sister with her full arm up the backside of a cow. And you see the whole thing. You see her take it back out again. You know, because Justine really needs to talk to her sister, and her sister's like, I gotta finish this. And you just hear a bunch of cows mooing as they're getting these, you know, rectal cleanings? Because she takes excrement out of, after her arm is full on in. How is that possible? Cows, man. Aren't intestines all wrapped around and stuff? I don't know what a cow's intestines look like. How can you put your arm through it? Huh? Cows have four stomachs. They got weird insides, man. So she ends up hanging out with her sister, and they're messing around and everything. 
she decides she's going to cut something with scissors. So, yes. What does she want to cut? She comments on her sister's grooming habits, and you can see that she has underarm hair or whatever, and she's like... So you mentioned something about how Brazilians. Oh, oh my God. I totally forgot yeah. about that. And so Justine says she's never groomed her pubic hair. And Alex is like, I'm sorry, what? We're fixing that right now. And she's going to give her a Brazilian. And she uses like gum or something, like warmed up gum to rip the hair out. Is that what it was? I, I I don't know what I've never obviously I've never done it I don't know what tools are used maybe there's some sort of wax that you put on because it looked like she was applying wax but yeah. then later on like I don't know if it's just candles melted or something like that and then she has yeah. to tear that's probably what it is that's what it was yeah. it just it looks weird if it you let it harden You're yeah because it's like to. pink and gummy and it's like yeah you, it looks but yeah like it, it's because it wasn't real right. <laughs> like it was fake um but yeah so but what about it do you think was fake. It wouldn't have been that thick. Well, no, this is I totally get why you thought it was gum, because it right. looked like gum. It yeah. shouldn't have been that thick. Right. I don't think it's fake, though. I think this was actually applied, and she's giving her a bikini wax. Not a full Brazilian, just a bikini wax uh, along her bikini line. And we just see it. We see her ripping the hair out and everything, just like it's 40-year-old virgin. <laughs> ah, Kelly Clarkson! <laughs> Don't nipple fuck! Oh, and she get it gets stuck to her sister. Yeah, uh-huh. And she can't get it off, and it's really hurting. And she's like, so I'll cut it off. Well, she goes and gets these enormous scissors. Like, I wouldn't want scissors that large anywhere near my vagina. And that's why Justine freaks out. Yes. When Alex goes in, she's like, that's my pussy. <laughs> and she like jerks and like closes her legs and it causes the scissors to close uh, around Alex's finger uh, and it chops her finger off. Uh, Suck a motherfucker. <gasps> you shit at Oh, I hate you. I hate you so much. And if it was that sharp to go through a bone? No, there's something darkly humorous about it. It's not, that's not realistic. But they don't, like, she she lifts her hand up and her finger's missing. And they're panicking and she ends up passing out. <laughs> and Justine is running around. She calls the ambulance and the ambulance is like, we're not going to be there for like 15 minutes. She's like, well, what the fuck do I do with the finger? And they're like, well, put it on ice. And the dog's been bothering them this whole time. She finds that the dog has, like, gone after the finger and is, like, licking it. And so she takes it and gets it away from the dog and goes to put it in the ice. But then... There's no ice. There's no ice. There's no ice in the freezer. So she just kind of sits down, like, what the fuck do I do? Holding a finger. <laughs> and then she licks it. Yes. And then she nibbles on the, the frayed edge around. And I'm like, girl, what are you doing? First of all, fingers are gross. It had, like, her painted fingernail on it and everything. Like, it's not just some random piece of human meat. Like, it's a finger. Is there even much meat in the finger? Not a lot. No, there's a lot of bone. Isn't and tendon. Like, yeah, tendons. Yeah. <laughs> like, it would, those, the finger was cut clean off with scissors. They're going to notice nibble marks is what I'm thinking when this is happening. But she doesn't stop. She just keeps going, and then she full-on bites into it, and she's getting blood all over her face. 
You're when... gonna have to face it, you're addicted to blood. <laughs> I wrote that. <laughs> So, the sister wakes up and sees what's happening, catches her sister, catches Justine. Can I, can I say what I was writing at this point? Sure. <laughs> so, I'm writing, I, this is me talking to myself. Uh-huh. I know, it's just a chicken wing, it, you know, whatever, but holy Christ, her sister woke up. <laughs> Because I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. I was expecting when the police arrived that she would just say the dog ate it. Right. I was not expecting her sister to wake up and see it. The sister wakes up, is obviously messed up when she sees what's going on, and she starts to cry. And at first I was like, well, this is kind of a darkly humorous sort of thing. She's really upset that now her finger's gone. What the fuck did you do, Justine? (laughs) That's what I thought, too. Right. And then when they go to the hospital and the parents are there, first of all, Alex doesn't say anything. And when they ask where the finger went, they say the dog took it and ate it. I was like, man, your sister must really love you. She cries at the loss of her finger and then she doesn't tell anybody about it. Partway through the rest of the movie, you realize that's not what's going on there. Actually, yeah, not even that- partway, not even partway, like the next scene, it's kind of revealed what's going on there. So the dad says they're going to have to put the dog down because once it develops a taste for human flesh, it'll become aggressive and it'll attack humans, which, by the way, is absolute 100% bullshit. It is absolutely not true. In France? No, dogs don't. I'm saying about dogs reacting. They don't. It doesn't. French oh. dogs don't behave any differently. Oh, I thought you were talking about the laws about no. They might have. Down. They might have done that. <laughs> I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is that dogs don't develop a taste for human flesh. They do what comes naturally to them, and they take what's available at the time. That's why your dog will eat meat. It'll eat kibble. It'll like eat shit. Yes. Like <laughs> it just behaves naturally. And if you die in the house. And starve your dogs long enough, your dogs will eat you. I don't think dogs will. Cats will. No, no, no. Dogs Cats will, will eat there you are, like the moment you're dead. <laughs> there are absolutely reports of that happening. And so people are like, what's going to happen to the dog now? And everyone's like, well, the dog's perfectly fine. Dog is normal. Nothing's wrong with the dog. It got seriously hungry and its instinct made it eat. And there was meat there. And it wouldn't have been its choice, but that's what was available. They don't then develop a taste for human meat. But in any case, that's what either the story or the country does. Or the father wants. Oh, yeah. uh Uh-huh. But anyway, they do end up putting the dog to sleep. Understand the consequences. Maybe. the I mean, I wasn't even thinking about that. But yeah, maybe. After the parents leave and it's just Alex and Justine again, Alex takes her to this road that we saw at the beginning of the movie and basically does the same thing that we saw at the beginning of the movie, rushes out, causes a car accident, uh, goes up and sees that there's one person dead, one person dying who's not going to make it, and then like starts 
licking the blood off of that person's face. And Justine freaks out, what are you doing? And Alex is saying, I'm doing this for you. Basically, she's teaching her sister how to get this human meat that she's craving. Yeah, she says, you need to learn, no? Yes. So, rewind to the sister crying. The sister cries because she realizes that Justine has this curse, too. That Alex also has. I don't think that she's sad about it. I think she might be happy. Why do you think she might be happy? Because now her and her sister can bond over it? I think that's a side effect. I don't think that's the predominant feeling she would have. No part of me thinks that she feels like it's a curse. She doesn't treat it like a curse. Yeah, but if she cares that much about bonding with her sister, why does she do what she does? She's drunk. I think that's kind of a... I disagree. I can see how you would interpret it that way, but I disagree. Originally, I said, wow, your sister really loves you. I think that still holds true, knowing what we know now. She's crying either way, whether it's Kelsey's interpretation or mine. She's crying because she loves her sister. The next major scene we get is... Her in her bed. Yeah. And she's getting smacked. And she has her sheets over the top of her. None of that is actually happening. She's going through withdrawals. I was super confused. When you told me it was withdrawals, it made way more sense. I was like, was that in her mind? Did that really happen? Because they've been getting hazed all this time. So for all I know, that could be the people hazing her again. Is this in her mind? Is it real? If it is real, why the fuck isn't she just getting out of the bed and telling them to stop? It was so confusing. It is confusing. And I think it's just supposed to be a representation of what it feels like to go through withdrawals. and But then she gets out of bed, walks down the hall, and gets smacked with paint. Yeah. So weird. Right. It's a a paint party, apparently, where they paint people different colors. In the middle of the fucking dorms? Well, we knew that there was going to be a party that night already. Did we? Yeah. I can't remember the context, but we did know that. And... She gets shoved in the closet with this boy who's painted uh, yellow, and they say, don't come out until you're both green. Basically forcing them to make out with each other. And while they're doing that, and while they're kissing, Justine... Which is disgusting, because they have paint all over Yeah. Them. You're getting paint all over <laughs> your... in your mouth? And, ugh. Yeah. It's probably safe paint, but still, it's not great. <sighs> uh, like, bites part of his lip off. And this is because, you know, the prior scene we just saw was her going through withdrawals. Which he, like, freaks out about. But, I mean, there are so many movies where that's, like, a cute story of, oh, she uh bit his lip the first Uh time she kissed him. And it was too hard because she didn't know what she was doing. I mean, I guess this could be, like, over the top because obviously she was biting really hard. But, like, I think he over-exaggerates a little bit. Because, like I said, we I, that's a thing that they do as a cutesy story. Right. But he's, like, full-on bleeding, and he's going to need stitches or something. And then, like, her tooth comes out, and she eats it? I didn't catch that at all. Something comes out of her mouth, and I'm pretty sure it's a tooth. Oh, no, 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 no. It's the part of the kid's lip. That's still in her mouth. It looked like a She tooth. took it out, she looked at it, and then she popped it back in her mouth. Hmm. Yeah. It came out of her teeth. It was stuck in her teeth. So she goes back to her room, 
And she's hanging out with her gay roommate. Adrian. And he's like, look, whatever it is that you're into, S&M, whatever, that's fine. But, like, get it under control or whatever. Yeah. And she goes, well, are you going to kiss me? And he goes, no. And she says, so then why do you care? Right. And this is a scene that we had to rewind and watch because I was like, what the hell just happened? She leaves, she goes to bed, and then she comes back in while Adrian is looking at porn and playing with himself, and she says, it's bad. And then they immediately start making out and they have, they're have they having sex. Something got lost in the translation. Yes, I can see that. But I think it all ties back into her kink. I think they're talking about her her desire that she has is is bad. It's strong, and why, the whole time they're but having sex. That's not what he was saying, based on what the words on the screen were telling me. No, he talks about like what is it? What is your kink? What is this? And she's like, "Why do you care if you're never going to kiss me?" And then she tells him it's bad. And then they end up having sex, and it's almost like he's just horny, and he cares for her. And she she's never, she's a, a virgin. Yeah, she's a virgin and she's attracted to him. But this whole time she's like licking him and trying to bite him and he's just trying to like stop, stop it. She's about to orgasm and she ends up biting her own arm. Yes. And there's this great shot of her just sinking her teeth into her own arm and orgasming at the same time. Now there's this association with the, the the good feeling that it gives her, right? And her eyes kind of are like rolled back into her head and she's bleeding from her arm. It's really cute. He seems to genuinely care about her. He tries to just ignore it. But there's, we realize that he's kind of friends with her sister. There's been things happening there. And she gets pissed when she finds out that her sister has his phone number. Yeah. Because her sister texts him and he's like, tell my sister to look at her phone. Uh-huh. That's how she finds out. And she gets really pissed and he's like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm gay. Yeah. I'm gay. Stop this. Yeah. I'm not yours and I'm not going to be hers. What What are you so worried about? And he gets really pissed off, but he shouts it in the middle of class, which is just like, you know, someone's bothering you, and then you you say in a very loud voice, no, I don't want to make out, you know, just to embarrass them or whatever. But this is legitimate. He really, he really is pissed. Yes. So that night, there's a party, and she decides she's going to get wasted because now she's so upset. Now, here's one of those moments I was talking about where weird shit just kind of happens, and everybody's just kind of like, okay. They the the camera goes by a woman licking a man's eyeball. Yeah, it's just like that's just normal. Uh huh. This is things people do. So her sister ends up being there, and her sister gets her to follow her, and uh-huh. that's all we see. The next thing we see is her waking up the next morning and just being like, "Oh fuck, you know, it's gonna be one of those hangover, days." And yeah, she drinks a fuck ton of water and she goes to class. And this is when Chris was saying earlier. The girl moves away and she smells herself. That's what this is. And again, it's just like when you find out what the girl knows happened. Yeah. It's like I would be way more like concerned about this girl. I would be more like, oh my God, are you okay? Or possibly even like a little like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> 
Instead, this girl's just like, I'm just not going to sit next to you. Yeah, you're weird. I'm going to move. So what we find out happens because Adrian confronts her because he's honestly, he sees the video that was taken of that night and he's concerned for her and she's like, what? You know, she's pissed at him still. And he's like, here, you have to watch this. And he forces her to watch it. And it's a video of everyone crowded around Alex, her sister, in the morgue of this hospital where the party was taking place. I know why she would do it. Because doesn't she, like, attack her for, like, having his phone number? No, the fight comes after this. Yeah, but I I don't mean, like, attacks, attacks, like uh-huh. she does here. I mean, like, doesn't she come up and, like, scream at her? You know, like, he's mine or whatever. I don't remember that. It may well very well be the case, but I don't know. There's a dead body on it, and she's laughing and dangling the hand off of it, and Justine is on the floor on all fours, like, snapping at it with her teeth. Like, she's like, come on, take a bite, take a bite, and, like, treating Justine like a dog and tempting her with meat, in this case, human flesh. And everyone just kind of chalks it up to Justine being way drunk and totally fucked up. <laughs> like, it's not, nobody thinks she's actually a cannibal. <laughs> Which, like, if I was there, I would have so many questions about this whole entire thing. And everybody's just kind of like, not my place. Yeah. I'm just gonna (laughs) ignore that that happened. Adrian tries to stop Justine, but Justine gets out of his grip and runs and finds Alex. And they get into a fight. A dog fight. Now. I was kind of annoyed at that point. So was I. I I wrote down, is this all it amounts to? A sister fight? Like, at that point, there's just this metaphor, which I read personally, I read as a drug metaphor. And all they did was just take out all the references to drugs wholesale and make it about cannibalism instead. And it just ends with the sisters fighting. Like, because that seemed like what the climax was going to be, honestly, is them fighting and then they're biting each other. But then it kind of turns. Well, they have to get held back by people like they're fucking dogs. And it's so. Right. But just. But also, but also they both get their bites in on each other. And they're like clamped down on each other at the same time. And they're like locked on and they kind of stop fighting. But they have their mouths around each other. Because they love each other. Right. And that's when they get pulled apart. At this point, this fight where they've taken chunks out of each other, not to mention the finger that Alex has already lost, they do kind of ultimately bond over this. And it's kind of... It seems unnecessary and superfluous and like... I hated this whole scene. I hated how that's how they fixed their relationship. Yeah. I wrote down, this took a turn for the boring. Yeah. Like, it wasn't... I I wanted something big and exciting. I wanted somebody to die. <laughs> well, I thought that's where it was headed. And then they take this swerve, and it's just like two sisters getting in a slap fight, but with bites instead. I was like, well, that's boring. Like if this, if the, if the biting, if the cannibalism is a metaphor for anything, then really the story they're telling is about what it's a metaphor for. And if the big conclusion is the two sisters get into a fight, 
Who the fuck cares? That shouldn't be the climax, but it's not. They get separated and they, they leave together. They fight these people off who are tearing them apart and they leave together like renewed sisterhood. And Justine wakes up with Adrian in her bed again. But now he's dead. Yeah. Once he was in the bed, I knew exactly what happened. I maybe didn't know who did it, but I knew he was dead. And she sees him and she's like, oh, and she she's a little bit bloody. She reaches down like under the covers, like she's going to grab his dick or something and pulls her hand back out. And it's covered in blood and she panics and she throws the blanket off. And there's a giant chunk taken out of his thigh. And there's a hole in his back and he is not responding. He's already dead. He's been shot, is what you might be thinking. Yeah. But then she looks across the room and sees a ski pole. Yeah, which he was had introduced given to earlier. her in the very first scene they, they met each other. Yeah. She grabs the ski pole and turns around the corner and finds sitting in the exact same position that Justine was sitting in when she ate Alex's finger, Alex, covered in blood and... What looks to be way high, just incredibly high. You know, the high where you're worried they might choke on their own vomit. Holds the ski pole up to her face, touches it on her forehead, and it looks like she's going to pierce it through her skull. Yeah, an lobotomizer, but she doesn't. She lifts her up. She washes her down. She cleans her up in the shower. And the next thing we know, Alex is in prison. We still don't know for certain exactly who killed him. There's an implication because the immediate prior scene is them bonding. There's an implication that maybe they both did it. But Justine doesn't know. Or if she does, she's not saying anything. Justine does not remember this because when she wakes up, she's freaking out. Uh She's screaming at him, you know, why didn't you hit me? Why didn't you fight back? Why didn't you stop me? Then she sees the ski pole hole. Then she sh- she looks at her sister like it's it was her sister. I right. don't think there's any. I mean, but maybe she came to a realization later. I'm saying if, then she's not saying anything. Just saying there isn't like a definitive answer for what happened. But just as Alex was going to keep quiet when Justine ate her finger, Alex is going to keep quiet again. She's not going to say anything. She doesn't even talk to her parents when her parents are on the other side of the glass trying to talk to her. When they get up to leave, she stops Justine and they put their bite scars that they gave each other up against the glass as another sort of like bonding moment. Or a roll your eyes moment. I didn't think it was roll your eyes. I did. I can see why you would. Okay. The movie ends with... Justine at home with her parents having dinner. The mom gets up and takes the plates to go wash them or something. And it's just Justine and her dad sitting at the table. And the dad, who has just been stoic and not showing any emotion this entire time, is telling her that she didn't have an outlet. She didn't know how to cope. And this is what ended up happening. But don't worry, Justine. And he unbuttons his top and he shows all sorts of scars and bite marks all over his torso. He says, you'll find a way to cope. 
Well, because he gets, he tells her a story of how he met her mother. Yeah. And how at first they were just friends. It wasn't until we had our first kiss that I knew we were the same. Yeah. And we always brought your sister up to be herself. And then he opens up his shirt and says, I'm sure you'll find a solution. Yeah. It's a lot like parents in that at the end, it's like, it's a long line of cannibalism. It's in your yeah, blood. Yeah, passing it on to the kids, or at least trying to. Yes. Whether they're being successful or not. Yes. I honestly thought that the sister bond thing was kind of neat. I thought the dad thing was kind of cool. If not, I wouldn't be surprised. Predictable uh, from some people. I didn't see it coming, honestly. I didn't see it coming at all. But that In being said, like <laughs> that being said, like I can think of so many other examples where like that seemed like that was going to be the end and it ended up being it like it was obvious in other movies. Uh-huh. Like in Parents, I knew it was coming. Yeah. And that's not because I saw it when I was a kid. I didn't remember that part. Right. I totally saw it coming. I didn't see it coming here. I don't know how they did that. Right. But I'm really I'm surprised. impressed. I could have sworn you would have seen it coming. I was really impressed that they kept me from figuring that yeah, out. Yeah, no, me too. Me too. I think I just, I think I might have just wasn't thinking about it, but like the fact that they were able to keep it as good a secret is pretty impressive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, it's not that you couldn't figure it out. It's that they didn't present you with the mystery. Mm-hmm. So you weren't thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is 2016's Raw, Kelsey. Lightning round? Did we get through everything? We got through all of my comments. Yeah, I think we're good. Do you not think that it's an addiction metaphor? I see where, I I totally see what you're talking about, but in my opinion, it's way less than you think it is. And I think they were just using that, that stuff as, I mean, like, so maybe maybe the cannibalism is a stand-in for, like, they're using the markers of addiction to communicate the cannibalism to you so you know. So you understand yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. I can see that. I think they're just using it as a context. But if the film isn't a I metaphor not- for that, if Julia DeCarnow, DeCarnow, or however you pronounce her name, if that's not what she was going for, I have no fucking clue what she's going for. Sisterly love... Kind of. Unfortunately, that part was in it. I thought that was, was the worst, weakest part of the film. I really liked Alex, like, a lot, even though she was a total bitch a lot of the time. She was so annoying. I liked her a lot. <laughs> in fact, she's actually my least favorite part of the whole film. Really? She was a big drag for me the whole time. Oh, I thought Justine was a big drag. Oh. You just probably identify with Justine a lot, don't you? <laughs> Maybe it's a good thing we didn't meet when we were younger. <laughs> I really liked this movie. And I'm fi- I'm fine with it not having a message. I don't need a movie to always have a message. Right, but I mean, like, what's the point? It doesn't need to be, like, trying to teach you anything. I don't think it's trying to teach you anything. I think it is communicating something, though. What is it? What do you think they're communicating with parents? I think just because it's a French film and the way it's filmed, you think it it should have a higher meaning. I don't think it has to. I think, I think that that's exactly why this movie gets so much praise. (laughs) 
I think that there is a lot of pretense going on here. I think there's a lot of skill, too. I think it is very well made. It had my attention the whole fucking time, but that attention wasn't always positive. And not just in a, ooh, it's gross, it's provoking me kind of way, in a like, all right, let's get to it. Like, is this really where it's going? Kind of like thing. But it did have my attention the entire time. I thought it was very beautiful, like visually. Mm -hmm. I thought it was very effective. Like I say, they had that tactic where... They're not going to cut away. They're going to show you everything. The one thing they don't show you is them eating Adrian's leg mm-hmm. and killing him. They don't show you any of that. But for the most part, like, that's where the horror comes into this movie is in the concept and in the unflinching look at it. Which is so funny because there was never a point in this movie where I was like, oh, God, and I had to look away. No, I never looked away, but I was squirming the entire... I'm like, oh yes, my I God, was, are I they not going to cut? Oh my God. <laughs> but I, I really think why it didn't bother me, why it didn't make me angry, and at the same time scare me, uh-huh. uh, is because there was nothing evil about her intent. Right. And- I wasn't watching some madman... Eat, mani- eat while you're alive and maniacally laugh at you as you're sitting there in terror. Like, right. I didn't have to put up with that bullshit. And I thought it, it was, was going to go, honestly, the comical way, and Adrian was going to be, like, her first victim. I thought that they were setting that up. And that never happened until the very, very end. No, it was just... I I thought it was very good for what it was. And I yes. thought that it was well put together. I would absolutely watch it again. I was just, and yeah, and there's no part of me that's like, I will never see that again. Right. You know, like, no, I actually really enjoyed it. It's just, there was just too much of it that I was like, fucking really? Like, I didn't like the sister. And the whole fucking part where they turned into dogs really pissed me off. But other than that, I really liked it. It's so funny that that's where your mind went. I can totally see that now that you say that. But that's not at all where my mind went. I just think of school fights that are just flailing limbs, you know. But there's the part where they're holding them. By like their. By like up here. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they're going. <sighs> yeah. And they're snapping. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's inherent to the concept of cannibalism. They're trying to bite them to eat them, not because they become dogs, but. Maybe that's just a consequence of cannibalism is it is inhumane. Yes, you become an animal. Yeah. So what do you think the movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? I already know. Can you share with the audience? 91%. That's what Amazon told you. Oh. Or iTunes. I can't remember where we watched it. Going on Rotten Tomatoes is actually 92%. Ah. Raw's lurid violence and sexuality. I mean, it really wasn't that sexual. Live up to its title. She's into her roommate we see one interrupted blowjob scene which is in how many fucking movies and she stares at him a lot right but it's and they do have sex yeah kind of it lasts 20 seconds like it's not like crash or anything i think a lot of people felt that her desire for human flesh was also a, a probably a metaphor for sexuality yeah and oh of the budding sexuality of a young woman. It She's in college. Me, it reminded me a lot more of like uh, Ginger Snaps and Trick or Treat, where they turn into werewolves. 
if this had been a werewolf movie, I bet you anything you wouldn't have had a problem with it not having a message. Because it was about cannibalism and because it was about real humans. But no, but they were, yeah, you're right. I, I see where you're coming from, but they were laying on the connections to drug addiction real strong all over the place. She moves out of home, joins her already partying sister in a very party environment. She, uh, the sister after binging that night is in a, is in a, like a basically what amounts to a drug coma uh, and needs to be taken into the shower and have like her stomach pumped or whatever ends up happening to her. Like there's the withdrawal scene. Like they could have shown the fact that she's hungry anyway. Like they did when they went to the gas station or w- to get the the meat thing for her. But they do more than that. They show that when she doesn't eat, she goes through painful physical and psychological withdrawals. Like there's just way too many connections to drug addiction for it not to be about drug addiction. But like I said, I don't expect it to be communicating a message about it, but like it feels like that's what it's about and how the corruption of a young woman after she leaves home and she's corrupted by her older sister who's already experienced that. And now we have the parents who went through that. It didn't look like he had any fresh scars went through that in their youth too and learned how to get past that or cope with that desire. Like you could take the cannibalism out wholesale and make it about drugs and Adrian OD'd. And that's why he's dead. You know, how many movies end with somebody OD'ing at the end? Like SLC Punk. Only publishers die, you fucking idiot! <laughs> the consensus review goes on to say, Ra's lurid violence and sexuality live up to its title, but they're anchored with an immersive atmosphere and deep symbolism that linger long after the provocative visuals fade. Metacritic of 81. I feel like the Metacritic is a little closer than the Rotten Tomatoes. And yes, we know Rotten Tomatoes works differently. We know how Rotten Tomatoes works. What are you, are you asking me what I'm giving it? Yeah. Do you think this is overrated or underrated? Overrated. Yes. It is. And it wasn't bad. No. It's just overrated. Yes. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 77. You think that's too high? I can't decide. I can't decide what to give this movie. I feel like anything under a 75 feels too low. Mm-hmm. It is a good movie. Mm-hmm. But I can't get past my frustrations with it. I feel like 77 might be high. Maybe I'll just give it a 75. Which, you know, it's not that far off from what the Metacritic average rating is. Mm-hmm. Just a just a little, little underneath it. But I think everyone losing their minds over this movie is a little much. Yeah. It's good, but calm down a little bit. <laughs> I think people get excited when they're foreign films. I think people get excited when it gets all the awards. Yeah. Especially because, like you said, it ha- all these people were saying, oh, people were passing out seeing it. Yeah. I don't understand why. Uh-huh. I mean, it's no Mate Me Por Favor, which was a lot more disappointing from all the hype. Mm-hmm. This is actually a good quality film, despite the hype. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mate Me Por Favor, like, the hype hurt it. <laughs> it was like you take away the hype and you're left with, what the fuck? <laughs> anyway. That is 2016's Raw. James, 
Thank you very much for recommending it. I'm really glad that we got around to watching it finally. Um, we've been, like we said, wanting to watch this one for a very long time, and we are not disappointed. So thank you very much, James, for recommending that. And thank you, Kelsey, for pairing it with parents. Absolutely. That ended up being a very fortuitous match. And that does it for Cannibal Week on Pod Cemetery. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week is a recommendation week, as well as a double feature. Ooh. Yes. This one comes to us from Alex. Alex. We will be watching When a Stranger Calls. Okay. Have you ever seen either of them? I have not. I've seen both. I feel like there's a small chance I've seen the remake. I feel like you've seen both. I don't think I have. When I think of the calls coming from inside the house, I think of Black Christmas. Yeah, it's it's that urban legend. Have you checked the children? Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to actually seeing the movie that surrounds this very popular urban legend. The original is fine. From what I remember, the remake is god-awful. Well, now you're just getting me more excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like it, it's that time when we were making all those remakes. Yeah. It's when we were making Early The Stepfather. And yeah, we uh-huh. were making Nightmare on Elm Street. We were making Friday the 13th, which actually isn't that bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we were making we all these remakes. St- we will stand behind the Friday the 13th remake. <laughs> it's not great, but it's not that bad. Not when you compare it to all the other shitty ones that right. were coming out at that time. Right, exactly. Well, that's good. Thank you, Alex. We'll be watching When a Stranger Calls next week on Pod Cemetery. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com, our email, podcemetery at gmail.com, and Twitter at podcemetery. I'd highly recommend you follow us on Twitter because seriously, we end up posting a lot of extra stuff about the movies we watch because we're we're watching them again when we edit and we think of new things or maybe something's really visual and it doesn't get across in the podcast. So we'll share it there and we link it in every episode description. So check down there and click on that link where we talk about our afterthoughts on Twitter. Don't forget to rate and review us in your podcatcher of choice. As always, five-star written reviews are the biggest help you can give us in that department. But better than that is sharing us with your friends and even better than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next time, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Eat your meat. It was a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. One-eyed, one a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater Sure looks strange to me One-eyed Oh, really came down to earth and he lit in the tree I said, Mr. Purple People Eater, don't eat me I heard him say in a voice so gruff I wouldn't eat you cause you're so tough It was a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater Sure looks strange to me I said, Mr. Purple People Eater, what's your line? He said, eating purple people and it sure is fine. But that's not the reason that I came to land. I want to get a job in a rock and roll band. All right, you ready? You ready? We're going to do that every time. And now I can't remember. Did I buy it? I can find out. I don't have my phone. Your phone's right here. 
Yeah, that's okay. I won't find out. Now, there aren't a lot of plot synopses for these. I have tons of notes. I think we'll be fine. I have, like, no notes. Good. We'll be fine. And eventually... Jesus is a fire. What? Holy Jesus, it's a fire. What is that for? The video? Ain't nobody got time for that? Oh, I don't think about it. I only think of ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that? Holy Jesus, it's a fire. (laughs) I don't know. What do we know her from? Are you asking me or? Yes. Okay, I can look it up. Anything else to say about parents? Well, I haven't given a score yet. Oh, yeah. You think you're going to have to do another one of those? There's no commercial for this. Yeah, probably. I wanted somebody to die. 